there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. When I was a child, I don't remember how old, I saw a film on, on television. It was an older film, and it was a period piece, so it was probably in England back during the 1600s or 1500s or something like that. And a man was being walled up behind a wall in this little space. He was to be left to die. And I gotta tell you, it left a frightening impression. The idea of being walled in a small space. No doubt he died, as we all must, when a wall is built between us and the world. In a sense, we've all been walled off from the real world, and we're either dead or dying. If we're to be freed, the wall must come down. And the way I see it, there are two ways that this could happen. We could wait until somebody missed us and started to look for us. But the idea of this wall was it looked just like all the other walls. And the space was so small that it was just like a crawl space, really, that the person was walled up into. So someone could look and really not find it because it would look like just all the other walls. How would anyone possibly know when they were looking at walls that you were behind one of them? So we could wait for rescue, but it seems like a low percentage thing to do. The other option, as I see it, is we could begin to work from the inside to bring the wall down. I'm sure you're already getting the analogy that people come to you and pretty much what they find is a wall. Now, we don't know consciously that we're presenting a wall to people, but sometimes we do know that we are consciously presenting a wall. Sometimes we deliberately push people out. We deliberately keep them out for a number of reasons. What are some of the reasons we might deliberately keep someone out? Yes, we've been hurt by someone in the past, and so to keep them from hurting us again, we wall ourselves off to keep them away. And those hurts come in as many different flavors as we can imagine. It puts Baskin and Robbins to shame. Our imagination is so about, about our, our, our hurts, how people have hurt us, how life has hurt us, how everything out there has done it to us. Our imagination is so vivid and so rampant and so wild that we can imagine hundreds, thousands of slights, rejections, betrayals, insults, and lack of acknowledgement, anything that really wounds our self-pride, our self-love. And let's face it, our self-love is a very tender thing, and it is very easily wounded. I was driving here this morning, and I had to top down, and, and I get on the freeway. I noticed that the wind was blowing through my beard, and I could, you know, and it was like, wow, I don't remember the sensations being like this before. You know, the sensations of the wind moving the hairs on my face. I was very sensitive to those sensations. We are very sensitive to the sensations that blow across our self-love. It's very easily ruffled. Even if it's not bashed, it's very easily ruffled. And what I've noticed is that just a simple little ripple on our self-love can cause us to make the wall a little bit thicker and a little bit higher. To work from within to bring the wall down, we need knowledge 
obviously, you've got to know how to bring the wall down since we put it up predominantly unconsciously. It wasn't like, well, I think I'll build a wall to protect myself. We pretty much acquired the building materials just by growing up in this world. We acquired our wall, mostly, from other people, other walls around us. We knew this wall as mother, and this wall as father, and this wall as our homeroom teacher, and this wall as our first grade teacher, and this wall as our sixth grade teacher. No matter who we knew, we knew them predominantly as walls. Maybe, from time to time, there'd be a crack in the wall and we could see someone behind the wall. We knew there was someone there. But it was a fleeting glimpse. It didn't last long. And later we thought, well, did I really see that? Was that person really there? Or perhaps we, sh we make a shrine to that crack in the wall. And then we constantly go back to that crack in the wall looking through to see if we can get a glimpse of that person again. A lot of people call that marriage, where they saw somebody through the crack in the wall and they fell in love with that person back there. But then over time, and it doesn't have to take very long, it could be just a couple of days or it could be a couple of years, mostly it doesn't take a couple of years. Usually it takes somewhere between days and months. And that person just stops coming to the crack in the wall because for some reason they felt like it wasn't safe anymore or they fell out of the crack in the wall that they called love. We need knowledge to know how to get at this wall, how to begin to deconstruct it. But we also need patience because it's not something that's going to come down overnight. It's not something that's just going to happen and then that's it. You've heard a number of times and you've read probably dozens of times, what happens is attracted by our being. To change what happens, we must change our being. What it means to change our being is to change the kind of person that we are. In case you hadn't noticed, changing the kind of person that you are isn't a very simple process. People are trying to change the kind of person that they are all the time in life. And all they really do is decorate their wall or paint their wall or change the facade on their wall so it looks like a red brick wall instead of a big stone wall, a big gray stone wall. And that's not the same thing. A change of being is not a facade change. It's not a, a personality change. It's a change at the level of the heart. And that's not so easy because we don't know our hearts. Instead, we think we know our hearts. We imagine that we know our hearts. But we really only know the skin of the heart. We don't really know our heart internally, to the depths of our heart. We don't know what all our hearts really hold. Unless we see that we should change and wish to know how to make that change. The truth about us is, is that we're already dead. If you're listening to this, it's because you do see that there is something about your being that needs to change. You may not be able to be very specific about exactly what it is, and that's okay. You don't have to be. But if you can see that there's something about your being that needs to change, and you wish to know how to change that, then already you're making the journey back from the grave. It could be a very long trip out of the sepulcher, but at least you're facing in the right direction, or at least you have a desire, a wish, to be free from behind the wall, from the sepulcher. This work is for those who wish to awaken from the dead. When I say this work, most people think I mean the fourth way. I'm finding it increasingly difficult to limit this work to the fourth way. 
mainly because the fourth way has been so limited by our understanding of it and by our practice of it and by the practice of it in general in the world today and also the fact that it's nearly a hundred years old and something that is a hundred years old if it's a living organism it needs to be constantly changing because anything that stays still stays stagnant is usually dead all attempts to change what happens in the world by acting directly on external conditions must fail because being remains the same now this works in two ways it works in a global scale people trying to change the world by passing laws that will govern people's behavior has never worked it must fail because being remains the same whereas people who work on their own being they begin to change and as they begin to change they create a space around them where other people have an opportunity to change what will happen with the other people as you change your being is if, if there are other people who are in that space they will either begin to change their being or they will begin to move away from that space it will happen very slowly sometimes sometimes it, it just happens bam they just get away they realize at some subconscious level unconscious level that something has changed and that they no longer fit that they can no longer be comfortable in the vibrations that have changed the frequency of the vibrations that have changed in your being they're no longer comfortable so they just eject themselves from the the sphere the bubble the, the place where the where the change is effective other people hang on and hang on and hang on and then just slowly push themselves away and for whatever reason and I don't know what the reason is it may be because they can't make the interchange themselves it may be because they can't let go of something maybe that they can't let go of their idea of you in the past maybe they can't let go of their own idea that the you now that you're being now is is somehow weaker and, and wrong and threatening and bad or not as nice or not as it's not feeding what they were having fed before there could be hundreds of reasons thousands of reasons there could be millions of reasons I don't know but what I do know is that when the vibratory rate changes some people eject themselves from the space and some people slowly drift away from it because they're unable or unwilling to make the changes to their own being that are necessary change of being necessarily happens slowly but sometimes it doesn't sometimes a change of being happens in the twinkling of an eye now it may not be a huge change but it could be enough to radically change a person's behaviors how a person views life how a person views himself how a person views where he is in life and what he's doing in life in such cases it can be difficult to deal with that if you haven't had that same change and we rarely do so if we try to change what's happening in the world by acting directly on external conditions it's going to fail it's going to fail because that's not how change happens change has to happen at the level of being first remember I've told you about the example of have do be have a tutu do the exercises that ballerinas do and then you will be a ballerina this is how we approach change and actually how change really happens is be do have when you are something then you do what that something does so if you are a dog then you do what dogs do and then you will have what dogs have that's the way life really works we've got it backwards we see something and we envy it or we covet it or we lust for it 
And so then we try and get it. We try to have it. And then we try to do the things to keep having it in the hope that it will make us be something else. So someone wants to be, say, a doctor. Uh, they go out and they have cards printed up that say doctor so-and-so. And then they go around and they wear a doctor's smock and stethoscope around their neck. And, and they go around you know, checking everybody's heart, everybody they come up with. And, and they may have one of those little look in your ear and look in your nose and look in your eyes light you know, with the little black funnel thing on it. And they go around with that looking at everything. Hoping that if they have all the things that doctors have and they do all the things that doctors do that they'll just kind of be a doctor. And that's not really the way it works. But people keep trying to do that because we're confused. <laughs> it's just that simple. We're confused about how life works. In other words, we don't know how life works. And how could we know how life works? Here we are behind this wall and the world is on the other side of it. And everything that comes to us comes to us through the wall. If we see anything, it comes to us through a crack in the wall. If we hear anything, it comes to us muffled through the wall. So we don't really know what the world is like until we remove the wall. To change, we must begin to realize that there are contradictions in ourselves. And the only way to realize these contradictions, to genuinely realize them, is through uncritical, direct self-observation. The problem with us is we are incapable, in our current state, we are incapable of uncritical, direct self-observation. Because we're behind these walls and we've taken the wall as part of ourself, it's difficult for us to uncritically look at the wall. Since we think we built the wall and we think the wall is us, we get identified with our walls. If someone comes along and criticizes the wall, even if it's us, we get annoyed. We feel hurt. And then we will rebuild the wall. And we'll make sure nobody will get, say anything bad about it next time. But of course, we know that in this world, it doesn't take long for somebody to find something wrong with a wall or for us to find something wrong with the wall. And if we find something wrong with our wall, we'll find something wrong with someone else's wall. If we find something wrong with someone else's wall, we'll find something wrong with our wall. This strong wall prevents the realization of our contradictions. To know how to deconstruct the wall, we must know of what it is constructed. You've got to know what the wall is made of before you can really take it apart. If you bring a toothbrush to a cement wall, it could take you a long, long time. If you bring a jackhammer to a paper wall, you could hurt yourself. We picture ourselves kind. We picture ourselves just. We picture ourselves magnanimous, patient, generous, self-sacrificing, loyal, warm. In this illusion, we're suspended kind of like bugs in amber. See a piece of amber with a bug in it. It's a memorable experience. It's like, here it is, this little bug perfectly trapped in this piece of amber. And you can look at it and see it and it's like, wow. And that's how we are. When we picture ourselves that way, we become suspended and trapped so that we really can't move. Due to pictures, we don't see when we're selfish. We don't see when we're unkind. We don't see when we're stingy. We don't see when we're unjust. We don't see when we're cruel. And we're offended by the suggestion that that could be true about us, which just puts mortar between the blocks and the wall. We don't see contradictions in our being as a rule. What we don't see in ourselves, we see reflected in others. This is the core of this idea. We do not see our own contradictions. But instead of being able to locate them in ourselves, because they are there, we project them onto other people, we see them reflected in other people. So we look at someone else and we see reflected back what we cannot see in ourselves. Because we have these pictures that prevent us from seeing these things in ourselves. Until we accept the contradictions, we're going to remain 
trapped behind the wall, held there by the illusion that's blocking the truth. The illusion that's blocking the truth is the picture that we are something that we are not. The conviction, the sound assurance that we are something that we are not. The problem with this is we are something that we're not, and we are also not something that we're not. That's the contradiction. But I'm not a bad person. No, you're not always a bad person. But I'm not selfish. No, you're not always selfish. And we know this about ourselves. We know that sometimes we're selfish. We know that sometimes we're unkind. We know sometimes we're unjust. We know these things. So when someone comes along and they say, we have these pictures that keep us from seeing what we're like. We, but I know what I'm like. I know that I can be unkind. I know that I can be selfish. I know that I can be unjust. I know that I, I, I'm, sometimes I'm unmerciful. I know that sometimes I get angry when I shouldn't. I know those things. Yes, that's true. You do. And this is where the problem is. The problem is not that you don't see that you can be those things. It's that you can't see that together with your pictures. It's not that you don't see. It's like the light shines over here and you do see all of these flaws, these inconsistencies in yourself. But when you're seeing them, you're not remembering, you're not putting them together with the other things. For example, we don't put just and unjust together. We can't. Either a person is good or they're bad. Either a person is just or they're unjust. Either a person is selfish or they're unselfish. That's how we view life. That's how we view ourselves. That's how we view others. Because we only view one thing at a time. Only light coming from realized, accepted truth can free us. We can realize truth all day long, but until we accept it, we cannot be freed. We have to learn how to accept it. The problem is we haven't learned those skills very well at this point, but we can learn them. We can learn them by accepting. There are so many things to do before accepting. Some people can't accept because they're right. They're right because they have an account and they can prove it and they can justify it and they can remember it and they can tell you exactly how much you owe to the 10th position after the decimal point or further if it's necessary. Someone like that isn't going to accept a realization of the truth readily because all of these supports holding the wall up are in place. So it's not just a wall now. It's a wall that's supported by self-justification, account keeping, self-righteousness and self-love and self-pride. and All these things act as supports to the wall. So light shining through, we may be able to realize something, but we can't accept it. We can't accept it because the supports won't let us accept it. So the supports have to be removed first. If you're still at the place where you're still removing supports, or if you don't think you have any supports to remove, which I consider to be about the same place. Either way, it's about the same place. One is a little more lost than the other. If you don't think you have any supports to remove, then you're probably already dead, and it'll be a while. The wall silently intervenes between two contradictory things. The world as it is, and our inner world as we know it. The world as it is, is on the outside of the wall, and it's much bigger. But our inner world is much smaller to us. And the reason it's much smaller to us is because we have so little light in there. And because there's so little light in there, we can't see the size of it. We can't see what's there. And it's silent. We don't know that it's there. You know, it's not like we're aware of it any more than you're aware of your left pinky finger. Now you are. but Normally, that's not where your awareness resides, in your left pinky finger or the nail on your left finger. 
you may be able to place your attention there for a moment or two now, and I recommend you do that while you're listening. I think it's always a good idea to be in your body and to be aware that you're in your body and to be aware of some part of your body specifically, your left hand or your, your big toe on your right foot or thumb on your right hand or the palm of your left hand, whatever, or your neck or your nose or, or your forehead or, or the small muscles around your nose and your mouth, whatever. I think it's a good idea to listen and remain in your body because it will help you to stay here and not go off with your thoughts. Because while I'm talking, your thoughts are running. If you don't anchor yourself here, your thoughts will carry you away. And then you'll come back at some part later in the talk and you'll notice that we're talking about something different now. And then what will happen is your thoughts will take you away again. And you may only be here six times for a talk. You get something and then you go off. You get something and then you go off. You come back, you get something and you go off. When you finish with that, you get something and you go off. Like a dog with a bone. You give a dog a bone, he goes and buries it. Then he comes back. He gets another bone, he goes and buries it. And he comes back. He gets another bone, he goes and buries it in a different spot. And that's really what we're doing when we're listening to talks. We're burying bones. The problem is we go and the, we bury these bones. Well, we missed what was happening in life between when we got the bone and buried it and when we came back to life again. So I recommend that you stay in your body, that you stay aware, that you stay here. And of course, the best way to do that, or one of the best ways to do that, is to split your attention and focus part of your attention on what I'm saying and part of your attention on your body, being here in your body and staying here in your body and not allowing your thoughts to take you away. Your thoughts are not needed here. You don't need your thoughts. You just imagine. Your mind tells you that you need your thoughts because what if I tell you something that's not true? Well, big deal. You're just going to go bury it anyway. And then you're going to forget where it was, so it's not that important. And even if you do, while you're looking for a bone out in the yard one day and you dig up this bone, you're going to know whether or not it's an edible bone or not in that moment. But right now, you don't need that. Right now, you don't need to be protecting yourself with your mind. Your mind is building a wall. That's what it does. The mind builds walls, and it builds walls out of thoughts and feelings. It builds walls out of thoughts, and then it cements them with feelings. It mortars them with feelings. And that's what we're doing all the time. I'm suggesting that you stop doing that and that you start undoing that. I know, it's a, it's a radical idea. Stop doing that? How will I know what's right? How will I know what's wrong? Well, just stop doing it and find out. I could tell you. I could tell you how you'd know. But until you do it, you won't know. So just do it. Just try it. What's the worst that could happen? I could tell you things that were all lies and you could believe them and explode? I don't know. Your hair would fall out? Your left pinky would fall off? I don't know. What? What, what? what could happen? What's the horror of this? Oh, well, we could be, we could be captured in, in, in a cult. Yeah, that's it. He could be saying, he could be sending like messages that he's like God and we should give him all our money and, and this is a cult and then we should all have sex or with him and we should all, I don't know, whatever cults do. You know, it's like, I'm not interested, people. I'm not interested in your money. I'm not interested in your sex. I'm not interested in any of that. I'm not interested in your walls. You keep them if you want them. That's your business. I, I don't, when I say I don't care, I don't mean I don't care about you. It means if you want to keep your wall, I'm not going, I'm not going to take it away from you. If you want to keep your belief system, I'm not going to take it away from you. It's fine by me. It's okay with me that you have whatever wall, whatever belief system, whatever you have is okay with me. I'm not interested in taking it away from you. I'm not interested in making you different. I'm not interested in you changing your being. I'm interested in changing my being. 
If I were interested in changing your being, I would be making the same fatal error that I've made my whole life by trying to change the world by acting directly on external conditions. If I act on you, I'm acting on an external condition. Trying to change your being by acting on you externally, that's nonsense. It's not going to work, so I have no interest in doing that. So it doesn't mean I don't care about you. Of course I care about you. I don't care about your walls. I don't care about not you. And all that other stuff is not you. And that stuff is unimportant. What is important is you. What is unimportant is not you. We can be conscious of both things, but as we are, only one at a time and not together. Both things meaning I'm kind, but I'm unkind. We can be conscious of both things, but as we are, only one at a time. But we can learn to be conscious of both things together because we are both the builder of the wall and the imprisoned. We can move quickly and smoothly from one side to the other. We move at the speed of thought, which in case you hadn't noticed is quicker than the speed of light by a lot to the hundredth power anyway, or the 10,000th power, whatever. I can think about Mars a lot faster than the light can get from here to Mars. I can think about the sun a lot faster than the sun can send a ray of light to me. We can move very quickly between I'm kind, I'm not kind. We can move so quickly, as a matter of fact, that we can make ourselves believe that we are holding together I'm kind and I'm unkind at the same time. But the truth is, if we were really holding those things together, we would have a realization and we would accept that realization. And then it wouldn't matter whether we were kind or, un or, or unkind. But as, as we are, you can see that it matters greatly whether we're kind or unkind. And how you can prove that is, if someone is unkind to you and it matters, you haven't had the realization that you are kind and unkind and you haven't accepted it. Or you may have had the realization, but you haven't accepted it. Now, acceptance isn't something that happens generally in an instant, but it can. Acceptance is something like putting a cork under water. If you leave a cork under water, take a cork and you submerge it and you keep it submerged under water, eventually it will get waterlogged. It'll take a long time, but it will get waterlogged. It will cease to float. It can happen. We're like that. We accept something only very slowly. As a rule, some things we can accept more quickly than other things, but some things are very well preserved, very well guarded, and it will take a long time for us to accept something that's very well guarded. You remember I told you about things that were very well guarded with self-justification, pictures, and no, I'm not that way. Self-justification, accounts, you, you're a bad person, you did it wrong, you made me that way. All of those things, blaming, make the cork buoyant so that it's not going to absorb the water very easily. They act as preservatives. Without memory coming from uncritical self-observation, we can't recall what we saw on the other side of the wall when we're on this side. So when we happen to, now, now the wall thing is, is going to fall apart here now because I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a different example. Let's say we have a pie tin and we have a pie in the pie tin. Now let's say that we take one slice out of the pie and you can see the tin underneath it. Now let's imagine that this pie can spin while the tin holds still. So the pie can spin and we can see a, a little pie sliced piece of the tin underneath the pie and it moves so that we can see just that much of the tin all the way around. But by the time it gets back here we forgot what we saw over there. That's more like how it is for us. It's more like the pie moving around in the pie tin and us only being able to see this little sliver of a of a pie tin underneath it at any given moment. So we see one thing at a time. 
and then it moves and we see another thing, and then it moves and we see another thing. Without work memory, we start to forget what we saw. Now, what works against work memory? Well, all kinds of things. All kinds of things that we do work against work memory. Negative emotions work against work memory. Self-justification works against work memory. Internal consideration works against work memory. Account keeping works against work memory. Blame shifting works against work memory. All of these things are constantly working against our work memory. So our work memory needs to be valued and needs to be reinforced. What happens if these two sides are brought together suddenly? Well, the shock of the contradiction can many times be violent. Well, how would you know that? Well, it's very simple. If you know someone who doesn't know that they're unkind or selfish, and you tell them that they are, and they say, no, that's not true, you're just blah, 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 blah. But then you give them a, a, an absolute example of how they are, and they see it. The shock often can be violent. And what that means is you need to duck because they're liable to squirt all over you. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah. Everybody's had that happen. It's a very unpleasant experience. That's called tolerating the unpleasant manifestations of other people. Then, of course, we have our own unpleasant manifestations, which are not so bad. But other people have to tolerate them. But they're not so bad for us because we can only see one piece of the pie tin at a time. So it's not so bad. We can't see it all together. We can't see the whole pie tin, the whole maggoty pie tin of unpleasant manifestations about ourselves. We just, well, that's not so bad. It's just a couple of little, oh, well, maybe there was a worm in the apple. But it's, there it is. But it's just a little worm. It's not much. And it's okay. It's not wriggling around. So it's, you know, it's okay. It's not my, yeah, it wasn't my fault. It was in the apple. You know, it's like, I just didn't know. It, if suddenly the wall were removed, we'd lose all idea of ourselves. If suddenly the pie were removed and we could see the pie tin as it is, we'd lose all idea of ourselves. Well, why? Well, because our idea is in the pie, not in the pie tin. Our idea is in the wall, not in what's behind the wall. So if this suddenly, we lose all idea of ourselves. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's crazy. In the work, they said that you would go mad. I don't know what that means. I don't want to find out. Think of the moments that you've seen a contradiction in yourself. Now, think about how depressing that was. See, that's one of the things about contradictions. Is they can be very depressing. They can be disheartening. You'll hear yourself say things like, I've had it with this. This is insane. I'm not going to do this anymore. I quit. Forget it. I'm not doing this. That is somebody who is becoming aware of a contradiction and identifying with it. In other words, not accepting it. So realizing it is just part of it. Accepting it is the crucial part. Accepting it doesn't mean resigning yourself to it. Okay, kill me now. That's not the same thing as acceptance. That's resignation. Resignation is non-acceptance. We're just calling it acceptance. In other words, resignation is external acceptance. It's like, remember I told you the story about the, the little girl who was standing up in her high chair at supper time? And her mother said, Susie, sit down. Susie wouldn't sit down. Susie, sit down. The little girl just stared at her defiantly. The mother went over, put her hands on the little girl's shoulder and said, Susie, sit down. And she pressed her down into the high chair. And Susie started to cry and her lip came out and started to quiver. And she said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's resignation, which is really just a depressed defiance. It's non-acceptance. Leads to all kinds of wonderful, morose things like pouting and suicide and you know, all the things that we do. All the things that we do when we're not accepting what we've seen about ourselves. When we're just saying, it just can't be this bad. It's got to be some other way. It just, I couldn't be. Oh, it's that, that, not that. 
I was so sure my pictures tell me something else. But this is what work memory brings us to, eventually. An increase in consciousness would result from bringing the dark into the light. We'd feel a shift in our feeling of I. Our idea of I would change. You know your being is changing when your idea of I is changing. When you start to think maybe you're not right all the time. When you start to think maybe you're not the best at this job. When you start to think maybe you're not the smartest person in the room. When you start to think maybe you're not as kind as you thought you were. When you start to think maybe you're not as together as you thought you were. Your feeling of I is beginning to change. A shift has occurred. Woohoo! Rejoice. Oh no, I'm not going to rejoice. I have so far to go and it's so hard and boo-hoo. So, okay, so commit suicide then. Go back to that part of not accepting what you're seeing. All I'm asking you to do is just let it go. Just accept, okay, yep, yeah, that's the way it is. And smile because you are freeing yourself from it by accepting it. You are not freeing yourself. You are clinging to it by resisting it. You're clinging to it with your pitiful story of how hard it is, with your pitiful story about how you'll never make it, with your pitiful story about how you're just too bad, or you're not getting the right help, or you just didn't have the right chance, and if only. That pitiful song that you sing to yourself is just so that you can stay in misery, or you can, you can accept it. You choose. It's up to you. It's not up to me what you do. This change is being, making us another person who we no longer recognize as ourself. It takes a while to start to recognize yourself after the shift begins to occur. You don't just, oh, well, this is the new me. If that's what you said, if you, if you think you're the new you, if you think you know the new you, that's, that, trust me, that's not it. That's not my experience of how it's happened. I've never heard anybody who I trusted and could verify that they had had this shift that said that. In fact, one of the things that really clued me into this was Eckhart Tolle spent a couple of years or so, quite some time on a park bench trying to figure out what happened to him. He didn't know what happened. It only dawned on him slowly and only reading books and talking to other people and it began to dawn on him and he began to accept this, this new person that he had become. So the realization is not the same thing as the acceptance. The acceptance takes a little more time. Realization can happen in a flash. In fact, it can't happen any other way. You can only realize the moment you realize. It's like turning on a light. The light comes on when it comes on. So let's say you flick a switch and you've got fluorescent lighting and it doesn't come on like an incandescent bulb. It doesn't just come right on. It takes a moment. Well, let's say it's old. The ballast is old or the, the uh, lamps are old and it doesn't come on right away. It maybe just flickers a couple of times first and maybe it flickers for a long time. Maybe it takes a couple of minutes and then boom, it comes on. You don't know how the realization is going to come. But when it does come, it comes when it comes. And that is in a flash. Now, the acceptance of it is an entirely different thing. Learning how to live with it, learning how to move in it, learning how to be familiar with it, learning who this new you is, even if it's just a little change. That takes time for some reason. I don't know why. But that's my experience, and so that's what I share. I'm, I'm sure I would like to have something more positive and wonderful to tell you, like, oh, well, yes, the acceptance comes with the realization, and then you're all changed and better, and everything's fine. And, and the only problem now is that no one else in the world recognizes it, and so you have to go back and kill them because they didn't accept you for the new you, and they're trying to hold you back and make you bad and wrong, and blah, 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 blah. More story, just more story, story, story that keeps you in your misery. Let it go. When part of the wall comes down, and both sides of the contradiction are, accept, contradiction are accepted together, change of being is certain. It may be a matter of time, but it is certain. It will happen. 
If not accepted, the wall is quickly rebuilt and we fall back into duality. You have the realization, but you don't accept it. Then the wall is quickly rebuilt. In other words, all of the things that were already in place begin to take over again. You just go back to the old neuronic pathways because you didn't accept this realization. It has to be accepted and that's what makes the path, that's what opens the pathway and makes it a usable pathway. When both are accepted together, each side is changed, making a third thing called yes and no, rather than yes or no. Are you kind? Yes and no. Are you generous? Yes and no. Are you selfish? Yes and no. Are you a murderer? Yes and no. Are you a liar? Yes and no. As we are, our being is divided into accepted and unacceptable, which unacceptable, another word for unacceptable is projectable. <laughs> what we don't accept about ourselves is projectable. We, that's what we see in other people. You don't like people, do you? Good answer, yes and no. Yes and no, and that's the truth about us. I don't like other people. Yes and no. In other words, I like the people who are like me, and I don't like the people who are not like me. Unfortunately, that's yes or no. But we said yes and no, which means just by changing the external form doesn't mean there's going to be an internal change. That's have, do, be, rather than be, do, have. But the truth is, what we don't like about other people is what we don't accept about ourselves. Because if you accept it about yourself, there's nothing not to like in the other person. There's just nothing not to like. Our task is the deconstruction of the wall so that we can be aware of everything we are together. The work calls this real conscience, knowing everything together. That's real conscience. Because we believe the wall protects us from the evil on the other side of it, we remain unwilling to remove it. And it's only when we can allow the evil to be, to let the evil be. Can you let evil be in you? If you can accept it, a third thing will be formed, a new thing, and you will be transformed. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.